When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Eagles fans, this is Chris Franklin from NJ Advanced Media, and welcome to the No Huddle Show podcast, where we'll discuss anything and everything Philadelphia Eagles. You can read our content on nj.com slash eagles and make sure to bookmark that. Or you can also subscribe to our Eagles exclusive insider tech service, where we'll break news, give you insider observations, and provide in-depth analysis. Through Eagles Extra, you can send questions and comments directly to us, and we'll respond to your phone. We're once again joined today by our No Huddle Show co-host, Les Bowen. Today, we're going to talk about where the team stands after minicamp, the Eagles in their quest to find a replacement for guard Brandon Brooks, and the expectations around the team heading into training camp and a new season. But first off, before we do anything else, Les, how are you doing today? Doing great, Chris. How are you? Not bad at all. Thanks. Not bad. I'm uh, kind of excited, you know, about ready to start vacation and uh, it's feeling summer-esque and, you know, going down Jersey Shore and just enjoying time. Maybe catch a Phillies game here or there, man. Uh, what are you up to? I'm down in Charlotte with my mom, and it is very, 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 very hot here. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we're all right. Uh, I That's got good. in a run today before before the sun really got uh, oppressive, and, uh, you know, uh, things are good. Respect, respect. Now, now for those who don't know much about Charlotte, I've only been there once. I mean, I, I got to see it. I got a chance to actually see it when, when the Eagles went down to play the Panthers last season. I mean, what's Charlotte like now? Now these days, like, what well, is there stuff to do for people? You know, just in case you know they want to go travel stuff. What's there to do in Charlotte? Well, I, it's a pretty good scene, Chris. Uh, much different than when I was growing up here forty some years ago. Uh, I'm a little little miffed about that, that we couldn't have had all this cool stuff back then. But yeah, it's a lot of young people. Uh, it's booming. Uh, they're, you know, building new stuff and new businesses and and, stuff, and things are moving in all the time. Uh, it's uh, a lot of construction. You have to work your way around that. The traffic's horrible, but uh, it's a nice <laughs> place. It's a sort of... Uh, one of those places where nobody's actually from there. Everybody comes there from somewhere else, but it uh, it has its own kind of vibe. Nice, nice. Let's see, traffic's horrible. See, uh, yeah, it kind of sounds like uh, you went to Philadelphia South in a way, but eh. <laughs> But uh, all right, enough about the travel segment of the show. Uh, let's get into the starting start, start, uh, talk about the Eagles itself. The Eagles completed their mini camps last week. We got the chance to see two of the uh, sessions, and uh, it was overall it was it was a mixed bag of seeing everything. It was it was actually nice being on the field once again, seeing the workouts. You know, albeit they were on a 
Some of it was on air. Some of it's just in the, most of the individual drills. We got to see some seven or seven. And, you know, we got to see uh, A.J. Brown on the field. We got to see uh, Devonta Smith, the, that pairing going on. We got to see the new look Jalen Hurts. And we got to see the defensive, the new defensive additions. You got to see Hassan Reddick, Jordan Davis, uh, James Bradbury, too. Les, I noticed early on in those mini camps, what were your takeaways that you that you saw from the field and practices and just overall talking to everybody? You know, for me, Chris, the part where we got to talk to people was more important or I learned more from that, I should say. We shouldn't say it was more important, but I learned more from talking to players and coaches than I did from from watching them you know, do drills uh, in short pants. Uh, there was nothing on the field that was troubling. You know, uh, Jalen Hurts wasn't overthrowing his receivers by 20 yards and nobody went down clutching their Achilles tendon or anything like that. So, you know, that was important. But as far as uh, off the f- field, uh, we got to talk to a lot of people. Uh, we got a very good rationale, I think, from Nick Sirianni about giving up the play calling duties to offensive coordinator Shane Steichen. And uh, it, it, Nick really emphasized that it's still his offense. Uh, he just wants to be more in touch with everybody on the bench, you know, the kickoff unit, the defense. He wants to be able to have his finger on a lot of things. And he didn't feel like he could really do that last year as a rookie head coach during the time that he was calling plays. So that was interesting. Another thing was we got to talk to guys like Fletcher Cox. We got to you know check some things off a list. One of the things I wanted to check off that spring questions list was how does Fletch feel about uh, they released him and he was a free agent for a day or so. And then they re-signed him to a one-year deal. And, you know, he's a man of some stature around here, uh, one of the most important eagles of the last decade. Uh, How does he feel about that? And it turns out, if he's telling us the truth, that it wasn't a big deal for him. He understands the business of the sport. And, uh, you know, it all went fine. And he's happy to to mentor Jordan Davis and and so on and so forth. So, you know, you you cross that one off the list. Uh, Another one we kind of crossed off the list was uh, Isaac Suomalo, who uh, is uh, apparently the right guard for Brandon Brooks, at least right now. But it was clear from talking to Isaac, well, several things were clear. One was they haven't given him any great assurances about his future here this season or beyond this season given that he is in the final year of his contract. He is the sixth highest cap number on the team, and the five guys ahead of him have all been to the Pro Bowl. He hasn't. Uh, But he will get first crack at right guard. However, he's not really healthy yet. He's still recovering from Liz Frank surgery. So we learned that. Uh, You know, I think we learned that the coaches have a lot of – coaches and teammates have a – a lot of faith in Marcus Epps as the safety to replace Rodney McLeod. Uh, you know, things in Jalen Hurts, uh, there were no red flags with Jalen Hurts. Everything was fine. You can't really say that he's fixed any of last year's problems until he's in a situation where those problems exist again. But, you know, he worked hard this offseason. We know that. And the coaches are optimistic and Jalen's optimistic. So, That was kind of the way the spring went for me. How about you? 
thing. Well, looking at, I mean, there was a lot that was going on that was checking out. I thought it was pretty interesting, uh, especially. Uh, I, I know I'm more, I lean more towards looking at the offensive side than the defensive side. So uh, at least I'll start with that. I noticed there was a couple things that I thought was worth noting. Uh, the one first thing I start with is is hurts himself. I mean, the way that he's been, the way he's thrown the ball. I know it was seven or seven, and I know it was it wasn't a real true pass rush or anything like that. But the key thing I wanted to see what was he did that he changed and tweaked while he was out in Southern California, which I believe it was Tom house, but I think out in Southern California, you know, reworking and, get, and getting better for this upcoming season. And the one thing I really liked was how compact that he's throwing now. And I mean, I remember when he, first had a chance to watch him, you know, when, when the Eagles took him in 2020 in second in, in the second round. And he came into that training camp and I'm looking at his footwork and, his, and he was working with Marty Morningwig and it was like, he needs a little bit of work. There's some stuff he has to refine. And to see where he's at now when he's out, says out working out, out West, it, it's almost night and day in a way. I like the way that his footwork is going. I like more how compact his release is. And the reason why I think that's going to be important is – a lot of these routes are timing routes, and, and you also know that in the NFL, the throwing windows are not that big at all. So the fact that he's getting a quicker release, I think that's going to lead a little bit more to a better accuracy. I think it's going to lead to a better precision throwing offense. I'd like to see what happens against that pass rush instead of having orange pads coming at him and, and being thrown at him. So I thought that was a really big takeaway. But I, I know you touched on it earlier on when it came to Isaac Sayomalo. All right, you're the you're, you're I'm putting you in Nick Sirianni. Said, Congratulations, Les. You are now the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Who are you? Who do you believe is going to be the starting right guard when when the kickoff happens against the Detroit Lions? You know, if Sumalo is healthy within the first week or two of training camp, full go, then I think he has the inside track. I don't think you want to get too cute. You're, you're down Brandon Brooks, who's retired. And you've gotten rid of Nate Herbig, who's played a lot at right guard the last few years. Uh, if you get rid of Suomalo, and I know Suomalo hasn't played a lot at right guard since his rookie year, but suddenly you're looking at Jack Driscoll, who seems to be hurt all the time, and maybe Sua Opeta, who has been strictly a plug-in, you know, let's see if we can get, uh, you know, through a quarter, two quarters with him kind of guy the last several years. Um, you could get rid of Sumalo. I, you know, you'd certainly open up maybe five million in cap room. I think if you did that, but do you need that money? Maybe you do to re-sign some people. I'm not really sure, but I, I just as soon keep him around uh, if he's healthy, and uh, you know, not overthink this. But I could be wrong. You know, I, they like Driscoll. Um, he's much cheaper. They like Opeta. And I think if Jeff Stoutland tells them that those guys can handle the job, uh, maybe that's what happens. Uh, But uh, I'm a little leery of of getting rid of Isaac. Uh, I think, you know, you don't want to get thin on the offensive line. You don't want to start bringing in people from off the street and stuff like that. Uh, What do you think? 
The thing that has me a little worried is you have a guy, as you mentioned, he was a rookie. And the last time he played right guard was he was a rookie. You have a guy that's been doing everything from his left side and gotten so used to when it comes to his drops, looking when it comes to from where to look at and anything else. So now you're telling him to do everything in reverse. And to me, that's a big, big concern because I, I it, you need a lot more reps. You need a lot, get the timing down. And I know, Jeff Stoutland has preached that a lot of his guys are plug and play and and they're able to play a lot of spots, but it's almost like it becomes a muscle memory when you get used to that. And a guy who's coming off an injury, a Liz Frank injury, who needs to test that foot a little bit more, he's got to worry about that as well as learning to play on a whole different side of the line. And, oh, yeah, he's got to play with somebody – He's not used to playing on the side. He's not used to playing. He's got to get familiar with Jason uh, Jason Kelsey on his right side as well as Lane Johnson. So I'm a maybe I'm a little bit more concerned about that area. I think he's still probably your best option to throw in there. I like Driscoll more as a tackle. I think he's more fit. I think his build is a little bit more of a tackle. I know he can get it. I know his size. He's quick. He's a little bit quicker and he's a little smaller. So I guess when it comes to running out in space, it makes sense. But I'm still nah, – I'm not really – I think if anything, if there's one weakness on an offensive line, and I'm worried about teams starting to try to exploit that early on especially as well too. So a lot to me remains to be seen, at least from my my aspect. I think a lot remains to be seen on that, on, from, on that front. I omitted Cam Jurgens from from the list of oh. people who could play right guard. He certainly could. However, I know for a fact that there's concern there. Cam Jurgens, they list him at like 300, 303, something like that. Wisconsin listed him at 290, and he might not have been 290 even. Um, not that you can't play right guard at that weight, but you're playing next to a very small, by you know, comparison to, to many centers, Jason Center, Jason Kelsey, and then you're on the other side. There's a right tackle, Lane Johnson, who's very tall, but has had a lot of trouble keeping weight on over the years. Um, suddenly, you've got a very light right side if it's going to be Cam Jurgens. So they do have options over there. I think there's a lot of a lot of tests that have to be passed before they really decide to cast Isaac Suamalo aside. Yeah, you bring a good point because the last thing you want to see if you're a quarterback is all of a sudden you have an overload of defensive line, bigger defensive linemen starting to get down that flank on that right side. And you have to, that's not the, what usually you see that when you first, especially the side, if you're right in a quarterback like Hertz is, you see that you're all of a sudden your eye level goes from, well, let me look downfield to, uh oh, there's a rush in front of me. So the last thing you want to do is have that, is blow that offense and then for a reason like that. Now, we talked a lot about uh, what's going to happen that first game. That first week, you know, starting out with Detroit and everything, that a lot. Well, that comes around because there's a lot of expectations with this team. I mean, that's been thrown around a lot. You know, they added AJ Brown. You have all these additions to the team. Les, I want to ask you this: Do you? How do you feel that Nick Sirianni and the rest of and his team going to respond to this expectations? Because last year they went in there. There's a lot of unknowns, and they kind of surprised everybody by getting a getting the last wild card spot and, and making the playoffs this year, that surprise factor is going. How do you feel that this team will handle the expectations? I know that Sirianni has thought about this, Chris, and I know that he, it's not something that 
has taken him by surprise. I think he sees everything that's written. He knows people are talking about them as a dark horse, this and that, you know. And I think he has a pretty good handle on where they were last season. Sometimes I think fans get a little carried away with the fact that they made the playoffs. They were a 9-8 and eight team that didn't really beat anybody any good. They got to the playoffs and really got their butts handed to them uh, by Tampa Bay. It was 31 nothing going into the fourth quarter where they made it a little more respectable. But still, you know, this is a team that it's certainly done some great things in the offseason. And uh, there's a lot to be excited about. But I don't see them in the top tier of Super Bowl contenders. And I think they certainly shouldn't go into the season or the even training camp thinking that they've, that they're, you know, something they proven something that they haven't proven. And I think Sirianni understands that. And I'm pretty sure the veteran leaders understand that it'll just be up to them to impart this to the rest of the team and get everybody on board with the idea that they haven't done anything. Uh, and that the, these expectations are nice, but you can't, uh, yeah, you're playing Detroit in your opener, and that's a little bit of a, you know, that that's kind of what we're talking about here. You know, you're playing Detroit, <laughs> a team that you should beat easily in the opener, and we all know, I guess, because we've all lived around Philadelphia for a long time, um, things don't often work out the way that we think they're going to <laughs> in situations like that. You just need to really keep your head up and keep, uh, you know, not think that you're better than anybody, frankly. Philly, things go the way they go. No, that doesn't happen at all. (laughs) Now, I think I think especially when you look at what this team's up against, I think it's probably going to be like the second toughest thing about Sirianni being a head coach. I think last year when you're looking at a guy who was trying to make sure his team remained in the thought process and, and remained focused on still having a chance to turn the season around. I thought that was probably the toughest one. I think this is going to be probably the second toughest because you know now, like if I'm Sirianni, you know, and the players, you know now that you're good enough to be a playoff team. You know you're good enough to play into in, in January. The thing now is to keep the expectations at a – like basically, basically control it a little bit because – you don't want these guys starting to smell so especially like you mentioned Detroit, a team that you blew out last year, and you've certainly gotten better in some of those positions. You, the last thing you want to do is you want to manage those expectations and not let these guys start to smell themselves. And I think that sometimes can be a tough thing because you get uh, from a coaching standpoint, you could tell these guys, hey, you know what? Listen, we, we take it one game at a time, we can one game at a time, and this is where you're going to have to rely on the veteran leadership to help out, but. It's going to have to start from up top with Sirianni and making sure he has to make sure that his messaging, especially to begin the season, is is not to look way too in the forward and looking toward January, but trying to and, and trying to keep compartmentalize where they these guys are because they like the way this schedule starts out. I mean, when you look at and start playing the win loss game and everything else, what could happen if you're just going off last year's results? Yeah, I mean they should come out here and, and, and to a quick good start but it's it's a tough thing to manage that it, it really truly is now oh sorry. no now, i'm bringing i want to bring this up as well too because 
we saw this one coach out there during minicamp uh, on the final minicamp we were at, and it was Dick Vermeil. And it got me to thinking as well, too, you know, if you look at where Sirianni is as his development, where he could possibly reject even his personality, uh, I'm just going to throw this out there to you and, and see what your what your idea is. If you had to compare right now where Sirianni is or where he projects, where do you think he goes between these three coaches? Do you see him more as a Dick Vermeil type? Do you see him more as an Andy Reid type? Or do you see him more as a Doug Peterson type? Well, he's certainly not an Andy Reid type. Uh, Andy was very uh, quiet and reserved, uh, thoughtful, um, but uh, not uh, verbose, not really visibly uh, animated in a lot of time in a lot of cases uh, so I think we can eliminate the Andy Reid uh, you know possibility there <laughs> Doug Peterson no time's a, little yours. Bit, yours. a little bit of Doug Peterson in terms of age and vitality and so forth but Doug wasn't as uh, animated and as uh, really enthusiastic on a daily basis uh in his interactions with the public and with the media as, as Nick is. I really think you have to go to Vermeil to find somebody whose personality is a little bit like Nick Sirianni. Uh, I don't know, you know, in terms of coaching philosophy or anything like that, if they have anything in common. Um, but I, I do think Dick Vermeil, when he first came to the Eagles, I remember, uh, I didn't. I wasn't covering the team. I was like a teenager then. But um, I've talked to some of those guys over the years, and I remember Bill Berge saying uh, he was a, an established veteran, uh, Pro Bowl linebacker at that point, and he's listening to this young guy from UCLA, you know, saying things like jeepers and and jumping up and down and. And he's thinking Harry High School. I remember him saying that, you know, this this Harry High School guy, you know, that we've got coaching us. And it took a while for Vermeil to get the veterans to really understand who he really was. And that reminded me uh, of Sirianni's first press conference and, and the reactions people had to his sort of uh, exuberance and youth uh, at that time. So, you know, I, he's got a little Vermeil in him. He's very emotional. I think he gets upset with referees probably more than almost any coach, head coach we've had here <laughs> in a very long time. Um, he's, he's incredibly animated, incredibly uh, uh, verbal. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's the best comparison for me. I, I don't, maybe you feel differently, but that would be my take. At first, I was thinking I was going to go down the road of Doug Peterson, just being the fact that yeah, you know what, he's got that player focus, play, player central focus. I mean, you look at the amount of OTA practices they had; they wound up finishing with six. When you look at everybody else, he he basically is listening to the players as well as supposedly most science, but mainly listens to his players. Like especially look at last year when he negotiated that uh, schedule in the mini camps, and last year's one to get him in there to, and to participate. And just hearing how he's trying to focus on that failing the body and some of his messaging as well too. That's why I start to look more towards a Vermeil guy. I mean, look at two guys. I mean, Vermeil was offensive focused in a way when that he worked with the 
quarterbacks when he was with the Eagles. And now you look at Sirianni, who's got his hands on when it comes to wide receivers, really hands on in that aspect. I look at a guy who, like, he has an internet fiery personality. Yeah, he's, we, we saw it a couple times. I remember that the first that first game against Atlanta. And just watching him go up and down the sideline, working the back judge. They want to forget. Was, I think he wanted to. It was one of either the offensive pass or first defensive pass. He wanted a defensive pass. I forget which one it was. But I saw that. I'm like, mm, he's working it. And he saw it continue throughout the rest of the year. It's like, yeah, he's he's a little passionate. I mean, you see it in, in the mini camp practices. You see you see him getting on players and coaches. You know, trying to get those details in. And I think when you look at, it, I'm not saying that Sirianni is going to be a a Hall of Fame coach right off the bat. I know that Dick Vermeil put a lot of years in there. He won a Super Bowl with the Rams. He took the Eagles to a Super Bowl. There, there's a lot in there as well, too. So I'm not don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Nick could be in that in the future. Who knows when it comes to that? But I think when you look at personality-wise, there's a lot of similarities in there. And it, it's, it's an intriguing thing to watch. And uh, I want to see how he develops in, in into the future. Because if he truly believes what – if he truly – continues to interact and the players continue to buy into that system, especially year two and three, because it worked last year when the guys in a lot of this, they had, didn't really know what's going on, but they believed. But you want to make sure your message doesn't get tuned out year two, year three, year four. I'm really curious to see how it does. And if it does, who knows? Maybe he does have the same trajectory as Dick Vermeil. but it is, it's a fun thing. Thanks for answering that. Okay. Uh, finally, Les, do you have any final thoughts for today that you'd like to add to the podcast? Ah, just this. I, I see the Eagles. Uh, this is mundane, but I think it's worth noting. I look around the league at other teams like Washington right now. They're dealing with a huge deal with Jack Del Rio and his comments. And then they have their best player, Terry McLaurin. They've got a contract thing. Is he going to report to training camp on time? You go around to other teams, like I'm, like I said, I'm down in Charlotte, Carolina. They don't know who the quarterback really is right now. It's Sam Darnold, but they're clearly still negotiating with Cleveland for Baker Mayfield. Um, I, I, the, the Eagles, in terms of talent, the Eagles aren't like the best team in the league or anything like that. But they come into training camp without any fires burning. <laughs> you know, there's no. As far as we know, there's no veteran who's not going to show up because he doesn't like his contract. There are no starters other than possibly Suamalo who are going to show up not ready to go full blast because of injuries. You know, you know who the quarterback is. Whether he's good enough is something of a question, but you know who he is. He's the number one guy. There's not going to be another number one guy this year. Um, you know, there's things are very stable here. Um, and I think that's a good thing. It might be a little boring if you're looking to be entertained between now and, <laughs> and the start of training camp. But, uh, you know, I think uh, I think it's notable, even if it is mundane, you have to sort of I, I've been through a lot of summers that weren't like this, you know, uh, with with T.O. doing sit ups in his driveway and so forth, you know, or Carson Wentz. Is he going to be ready before October? Um, this isn't uh, that that scene. This is a very nailed down, uh, you know, it, all systems go sort of uh, scenario. And I think fans should uh, take a lot of uh, solace in that. Yep, very good points. And uh, and also, if you want to continue to 
here's some other great points when it comes to Les. And make sure you read it. He had to put out an excellent column today, another great story by Les on NJ.com slash Eagles. Make sure to go ahead and check that other stuff out. Uh, we'll post a link to this podcast. If you listen to it right now, make sure to subscribe it and continue listening to the No Huddle Show. Always love to hear your feedback on there. Also, make sure to check out Eagles Extra as well. Eagles Extra is where you can go ahead and make sure you can contact myself and Les. If you have any questions on there, you get a free trial with it. Go ahead and try it out and Go ahead and talk to us. We always love having that. We have some Q&As. Probably have another one scheduled for the following week as well, too. Even even as a dead period, hey, you know what? We still love talking to you guys because it's always fun to interact with you. So with that said, I'm Chris. That was Les. We appreciate you guys listening on. Everybody have a good one.